0: Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Clinton Crute, co-deputy editor of Film Comment. Midway through Little Richard, I am everything, actor and singer Billy Porter says something that distills one of the film's major themes. In the face of insurmountable challenges, sometimes simply existing is a revolutionary act. This new documentary, directed by Lisa Cortez, tells the story of one of the great American artists, a global celebrity whose simple existence as a queer black man was a direct challenge to the status quo. A study deep dive into the archives, filled with incendiary performances and biographical detail, the documentary is also a challenge to pop music history, and an effort to finally afford Little Richard his place as both the inventor of rock and roll and a groundbreaking cultural force unto himself. I spoke with Lisa about the contradictory nature of a man who swung between libertine impulses and religious conviction his entire life, how she reads his work in life as a utopian and cosmic project, and her own remarkable and varied career in the entertainment industry. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Today we have a very special guest on the Film Comment podcast, a producer, filmmaker, mogul, a woman who wears many hats, although she's not currently wearing a hat. Lisa, can you introduce yourself?
1: Good morning, I'm I'm Lisa Cortez. And for those who rely on a a visual description, I am an Afro-Latina woman with um, blonde dreadlocks, white cat-eyed glasses, a big smile because I'm talking to Clinton. And I am uh, speaking to you from Harlem, New York.
0: I know you've been traveling quite a bit recently.
1: Yes, I uh, am uh, out in the world in support of Little Richard. I am everything. So I'm, I'm, I'm fresh back from um, IDFA uh, in um, Amsterdam and uh, on my way to Los Angeles this week. You know, but they call it the circuit. Um, I, I call it uh, the, the, the rite of uh, passage.
0: Sort of like a professional racing circuit, I guess you could say.
1: And at a certain point, you know, it feels like gladiators. But uh, okay. right now, I'm actually just I'm enjoying not only supporting this film that I'm I'm just so proud of, but also seeing the films of my colleagues um, and being in community. And I think that is something that I really enjoy. You know, as a documentary filmmaker, is uh, the tremendous level of respect that I have for the very hard work that goes into making these stories that that challenge us to wake up, to rethink our assumptions about other people, and ultimately about who we are.
0: I think that's one of the most remarkable things about your film is that it uses a lot of... Uh, the language of a certain kind of documentary to get it different ideas about who Little Richard was, who this person was, and what his influence was. And there's little subtle things that you do throughout the film, I think, that are really interesting. Um, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But before that, I just really, I was thinking about as I was watching the film, um, my own first encounters with Little Richard as a public figure how I thought about this person growing up, and I think I remember first seeing him on like, you know, Full House. I think you even include a clip from that, and maybe Pee Wee's Playhouse. And so in my mind, he was almost this larger than life kind of like bubbly, over the top character who just kind of like burst into rooms with full full of energy. You know, I was aware of the fact that he was one of the early progenitors of rock and roll of what we of what came to be known as rock and roll but his actual importance as a public figure or as just a creator as an artist didn't really come through and i wanted to know if what you're um growing up like what was your first encounter with little richard as both a public figure and maybe also with his music
1: there's an early memory i have of like summertime barbecue with the family uh trying to catch lightning bugs and Little Richard's music playing and all of us kids going wild because there's so much joy. There's so much abandon. And, um, you know, I think it was mixed in with Earth, Wind and Fire and the Spinners and lots of other great classic soul musics. And then my father would from South America would put in a little bit of Cumbia music and the but the Little Richard music kind of, you know, is was something i recall hearing as a child and 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 wondering what is behind there's almost this, this primal cry within it within the music there's the call and response there's things that spoke to me that it really has taken me many years to figure out and dissect all that richard was putting into the the music both what is heard and what is also not heard. The seen and the unseen, I think, is a constant theme in Richard's life. And then when you zoom out, it's a bigger theme that we are navigating, particularly in America. My visual memory of Richard, you know, is similar to yours. It's like Pee-wee's Playhouse and Full House with the Olsen twins. And seeing someone who made them, who I felt was almost a caricature of themselves, It was the repetitive joke of, of shut up. Um, the declaration of their uh, contributions, not only as someone who's so fundamental to rock and roll, but also as a tremendous mentor um, and role model for the great artists ranging from Billy Preston, Jimi Hendrix, The Beatles, Rolling Stone. But all of that got lost with this this glaze of humor. And I think the humor was there to hide the pain because as we see in the film, there's always this moment of um, tremendous reflection and sadness on Richard's part on seeing people that he helped achieve greater acclaim than he did. And he's not even a footnote in the story.
0: I mean, I think your film goes a long way towards correcting that record, but it's interesting, he's such a, the way you when you're talking, I'm thinking about how much, how contradictory he is because there's this sadness, but he's also, he's in control kind of of his own image as well. He seems to be the creator of his own persona on a certain level. And so there's this simultaneous sadness, but there's also this pure joy in his music. I think um, your film really gets at that essential contradiction. That's, that's part of who this person is. Um, so I guess as the, the next question that I have after, after talking a little bit about your original impressions of who he was is why did you want to make a documentary about him? I mean, where did that come from? What was the original motivation
1: as a filmmaker, when Richard passed away in 2020, you know, it was in the spring, it was the height of the pandemic. We were all on lockdown. And I started hearing his music and reading these incredible tributes and immediately looked to see what if there was a doc so I could learn more about him and discovered there was a tremendous absence. The more I started reading about Richard, there was a resonance for me of his his struggle, and more importantly, what it means to be an icon, and when and and to feel that you have been made invisible, um, and and that to me there's great poignancy in that um, part of of Richard's life in terms of the interiority of him as a character, so. All of those things, like, there isn't a film. He is so rich. The music is so great. It's a journey that also intersects with so many interesting points of our American history, of our cultural history, of transgressive energy that Richard brought that it allowed me not just to look at a cradle to grave story, but a story that has tremendous nuance um, and ultimately a residual impact that we see now, but have never really pulled that invisible thread to see that Richard is the is truly an architect and creator of so many things that are normalized now and a music form that is evolved in many ways but owes tremendous uh, kudos to him for his his bravery, his, his jubilance, his standing in the face of so many challenges as a Black man, as a queer man, as someone born in the South at a time where there was tremendous harm to Black bodies. And so all of those are the, the topics that have interested me as, as not only a filmmaker, but just as a, as a scholar for many years. You know, uh, someone who majored in American studies and have been looking at our culture. Um, and so it's that wonderful gumbo that, that Richard's story allowed me to uh, interrogate not only the person, but zooming out to the greater cultural context.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how uh, religious he was too, and how he was constantly pulled and torn and between his kind of libertine impulses and this conservative upbringing that he kept returning to throughout his life. I think that's a very American story as well, right? This kind of this turmoil inside of him.
1: Oh, the, the always this, this this struggle between the sacred and the profane. You know, I mean, you know the the. The, the foundation of our country is, is full with contradictions, you know, like liberty and justice for all, but actually no, it's only for, for white, wealthy, landowning men. Um so that I think that goes to my earlier point that yes it's a story of Richard, but it's also a story of of our country and how one individual is navigating with, through a landscape that's not only fought with contribution, but it's fought, but it's also filled with possibility. It's it. There are these portals and, you know, the interstitials in the film with the dreamscapes were there for a reason, because those are those portals of possibility that Richard travels through to achieve a bigger dream and goal and propel his career forward and, you know, rock and roll music.
0: Mm-hmm. It's almost like an Afrofuturist idea where he's creating these utopian spaces for for himself to kind of uh, move beyond the restrictions that the world's placing on him.
1: Uh, yeah, and, and I love that you said that because I think one of the things about Afrofuturism, um, and you're the first person who has ever brought that up in talking about this film, is creating a space that, you know, as a person of color, you can exi- live in, but has not been depicted in within the genre, um, within, you know, the, the sci-fi world was not showing the possibility of a future for people of color, and that's where Afrofuturism came in. And I think that Richard inhabits a space and is always in almost in turbulence with himself to create space and is able to achieve that but the the great tragedy is the lack of recognition for what he does and what it then enables others to do
0: i think a lot of documentaries about great musicians would focus Uh, would bring in a lot of talking head interviews with other musicians, with people who were influenced by him. And you have that to a certain extent, but the majority of the interviews are with um, academics and writers and historians who bring a totally different perspective and understanding of Richard's life and it's, and the way it's influenced and influenced by American history. And I think it's, you know, instead of bringing in Mick Jagger for extended interviews about where they just say like, yes, he's amazing. He was a huge influence. That's really where this film kind of, to me, provides a whole new perspective on who this person was rather than the usual like hagiography. So I want to ask you like, how did you arrive at that decision? Cause I think that that's kind of a big move in a different direction.
1: Structurally, I knew that I wanted to center Richard's voice to To give him agency to tell his story, and so at the beginning of the project, there was a huge archival sweep that was done to see if we could find him narrating his journey. Once we knew that was accomplished, uh, I wanted. I realized that Richard was not always the most reliable narrator. He oftentimes inflated his uh, storytelling abilities, and there was a need to have a counterpoint for other voices, and those are the writers, the scholars that you referred to, to uh, call him on some of the things that he said. You know, as Andrea would say, call him on his shit. Um, So I was very intentional. Uh, in seeking out these these scholars like Jason King, Fredara Hadley, Zanjia Robinson, Tavia Nyango, because they're my Greek chorus to say to to not only to check Richard to check the what he is saying are facts, but also for many of them who are black and queer to offer this intimate. Um, uh, explanation of not only what Richard was doing to advance ideas, but at times the harm that was being caused. And to provide a, a a framing, you know, one of the visual devices we use in the film is like this prism, this prism of influences for Richard. And so these uh, contributors are like this other part of the prism. They have not only been influenced by the music, but they also can critique it when necessary and provide this kind of elevated examination of why does Richard see things in a certain way? What is happening in the greater, you know, pressure points of our african-american history that richard is in conversation with even if it's not literal conversation but it's a figurative conversation that he often has
0: to me that was really like revelatory as opposed to because i think i expected going in you know just a documentary where you have people kind of praising his contributions and like his influence but i think what's really interesting here is that you're getting at not only his influence but his uh, utter originality maybe and like how that was sort of this like Singular moment.
1: I also wanted, you know, I want people to have a 360 experience. As you said, you can't just have hagiography. That doesn't work. Um, Everything that he did was not great. There are things he did that, you know, are, when you look in context, are harmful. And, you know, in order to have this 360, you know, immersive experience, um, which was always the goal, you know, Richard, even though I'm honoring his voice, had to have other people to, um, give give us nuance and color because, you know, for Richard, everything is fluorescent. Um, and unfortunately that's not the truth of his journey.
0: I think it's also great that you include some actual analysis of the music itself, which is something that I think is often left out. You have somebody talking about how his left hand is doing something while his right hand is is working on a different in a different kind of register, a different genre, and how that creates this fusion of this new kind of music that he's that he's creating. As somebody who's worked in music, can you talk a little bit about your thinking about his originality as a musician? and then also maybe a little bit about these interludes that you've included, where you've had contemporary musicians reinterpreting his classic songs. Where did that idea come from?
1: Well, I started, my, my first career was in the music industry uh, working at uh, Def Jam Records and Rush Artist Management in, in what is now being called the golden age of hip hop. I can't believe the late eighties is is already golden. And I have been a musician all my life. and someone who came from that, that world many years ago, I saw with Richard the opportunity in this film to, to talk structurally about what he brought in his fusion of so many different genres and why it was so interesting. And that's why not only did we have Jason King breaking down what the two hands are doing. And then there are the instances of uh, Charles Conner talking about the, the drum and how uh, the pattern that he established, that it's very interesting, you know, this, Richard had this approach that was influenced by this hearing the trains in downtown Macon coming through. Right, right, right. That same drum pattern is the beginning of the incredible tune by Led Zeppelin, Rock and Roll. It, they literally sample that. So you start to see that, that Richard has left this impression in many different places.
0: I think he tells the drummer, like, he's very conscious about it. I want it to sound exactly like the rhythm of the train.
1: There's a thread, if you're watching the film closely, that you will see the train station in the very beginning of the film, and there's a close-up, of the sign that says colored waiting room. It, if you go to downtown Macon, that station is still there. That, that signage is still there. Richard saw that every day. He worked downtown. Um, when he was working at Anne's TikTok. So the, this place that of, of, in Macon, this, the, the, yes, I wanted my music to sound like, the drum is also with this this other layer of what Richard had to live within as a Black man in the Jim Crow South that he is pushing through. Um, And so then we go to the dreamscapes, the interstitials. The interstitials were something that I always wanted to do because with this film, I am very intentional about kind of breaking through the fourth wall of what one gets with, it sees, I should say, in um, music biodocs, docs. Um, and so, yes, it's centering a voice. Yes, it's great archival and the artists who he's influenced, but it's also experiential of what does it mean to see a depiction of Valerie June Performing Sister Rosetta Tharp's brilliant song, Strange Things Happening Every Day. And here Richard talking about seeing Sister Rosetta Tharp, her inviting him on stage to perform, and then the activation of the particles. You know, there's Stardust these particles, kind of. yes. The cosmic elemental influence that we actually introduce at the top of the film with the concept that Richard brought us the big Bang, and as a result, he activated this energy that continues to travel through 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 music, um, as you see in the final montage in the uh, the film of the art, contemporary artists from Prince to the Stones to little Nas X that he touched upon. And so these um, interstitial dreamscapes are one, my salute to, 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 to magic realism that um, I'm a big fan of, um, but it is also moments to see the activation and expansion of the particles of this energy that then continues to, to grow throughout the course of the film and, expand at major moments in, in Richard's life when he not only sees possibility, but he advances his sense of self and the um, outreach and growth of the music itself.
0: Uh, there's a quote from from uh, Jason King, I think, uh, that I wrote down because it struck me. As, he says, uh, queerness is openness to expansive imagination. And as you're talking, I think that like this idea of expansive imagination is kind of a defining um idea in the film. Um and I think uh maybe we could you could talk a little bit a bit about um little Richard's importance in terms of his queerness, in terms of how he nav in terms of how open he was at such a early point in history really it's kind of remarkable i don't think i had realized that when i was talking earlier about my first impressions of little little richard i don't think it ever occurred to me that he would be out you know even if you're recognizing like cues that he's giving off and on uh full house that he might be queer you know <laughs> you don't really think of this as a uh, that somebody in the 50s a rock and roll artist would be able to be out um, can you talk about the importance of that and just kind of how in- remarkable that was?
1: Well, you have to remember, there's, you know, there's a long history of kind of, of, of queerness in American arts. Lee Parachi is, is, you know, predates Little Richard as an artist in the 40s. So there's always this wink and nod. And one of the interesting things in the film that we look about is this time when, in his teens, Richard goes on the road um, and, and performs in drag as Princess Lavone. And what that led me down a rabbit hole that you know I'm not talking about in this film, but you know there's a a man in in DC in the 1880s. William Dorsey Swan, an African-American man who gets arrested for throwing these, these drag, uh, parties. And so we see that this, this, the queerness in America has been, uh, is, is, is a part of the tapestry of our country. Um, and we are not as Americans as conservative um as we have been told we have we are
0: well that's the thing because he's also so conservative right he pulls back he goes he yeah
1: but there's always a wink
0: yeah yeah it's it's yeah and people there's not many other people who are capable of holding those two things in in the same person you know like he's it's kind of an incredible balance that he's in, that he achieves in his life
1: yeah i mean i think we're surprised by it but then when we actually look at him and we look at others and we go back to the 1800s, we're like, wait a minute, this has been going on for a long time in terms of presentation and declaration of self. There's there's a wink and a nod if you know where to look that exists with so many artists. And But the what Richard is doing that is so different is in this, it's not only the music, but it's also the visual. It's this, in 1955, it's the explosion of the rock and roll films, you know, that uh, are being presented. And Richard is not toning down his makeup. He is actually, I think, making his hair even higher and, you know, drawing in the mustache even more ferociously when you see him in films like The Girl Can't Help It. He does not... um, mask uh, who he is. But you can imagine, not only in his own community, but in the broader community, there there was pushback. And then ultimately, I think as being a Black queer person, Richard experienced not the full ride um, because there's only so much of an embrace that could ultimately be given to him. With this film, we share the receipts and the receipts are that you can't deny the structural integrity that little Richard provided to rock and roll. And he not only lived at the lived experience of the, of the gospel of the roots music of, you know, the boogie woogie, but he is fusing all these different genres and Doing it in a way that not only is impacting you know artists here but then is translating across the world, you know it's funny I just you know I was at at itfa and I was talking to people from Denmark who are filmmakers, and they were like, you know little Richard was everything to us because we saw in this explosive character someone who is Unabashedly bringing together so much, holding on to it in, and in this huge performative way, and unabashedly um, saying that and, and declaring themselves and this music in, in a way that is so unique to them. And that spoke to you know, someone in, in Denmark, but they got it. Um, and as the film has, has screened around the world, where I consistently hear about the translation of, his, of, of Richard and his music to so many countries that you would not expect for it to resonate his story the way that it has. And um, you know, this film is, in, is not in the past tense. It shows that what Little Richard has created and shared is in conversation with the present. I don't know if you saw at Halloween, Little Nas X did a whole visual tribute to Little Richard. He not only dressed in some of the iconic images of Richard from the 50s, he also uh, lip-synced to the opening sequence of our film, Um, dressed identical to Richard. And so it shows that for me, the the ideas, that this transgressiveness of Richard, this challenge of the norm, um, is something that is still a conversation that we're having, that we're having, are able to have in in an open, broader way than Richard could, but I love that, you know. As I always say, the the past is a prelude to the moment that we're in now, and Richard's story truly speaks to that.
0: And I think the intensity of his music too; like it's just so powerful when you see it in the movie when he's performing. His performances are unbelievable. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about what you're about uh, other projects that you're working on, and I know you have the space race. Is that something you can talk about a little bit?
1: Well, you know, the, I Are you was allowed
0: to talk about that yet.
1: I'm allowed to talk about everything. Um, All right, but I I cannot be rem- be remiss in not also noting that you know this year at Sundance, Little Richard was the opening night film, and then I was honored as a producer to have the film *Invisible Beauty* uh, also at Sundance, which was directed by. Frederick Chang and Beth Ann Hardison. That film um, is such a beautiful homage to Beth Ann's journey as an activist. And as she says in, in the film, you know, you have to, activists have to remain active. And that truly is, is my mantra for the stories that I tell and, and you know, the kind of my own advocacy. Um, and that film is out and available now. Um, and, uh, if people have not seen it, I highly recommend that they go on on the journey. Uh, Space Race is a film that I co-directed with Diego Hurtado de Mendoza. And it's about the history of African-American astronauts uh, as seen through, uh, Ed Dwight, the first candidate, to all the way to contemporary active astronauts like Victor Glover. It's a National Geographic documentary film. Um, tremendous team to work with, and it is coming out in the uh, next year on um, Disney Plus and Hulu. We have been enjoying a really incredible fall, screening the film and also uh, engaging in an impact campaign where the film is being shared with um, students, uh, uh, particularly of of color with um, a focus on on STEM education. Um, Our executive producer, Leland Melvin, has been joining Diego and I in a lot of our conversations. And uh, it's it's been quite transformative to once again, show a hidden history um, and to make uh, visible the profound contributions of these astronauts that I think connects to Beth Ann Hardison of Invisible Beauty, who did so much to change the face of representation in the modeling industry and then tying it into little Richard, who once again is is so foundational to uh an art form um and also to changing cultural norms
0: and cosmic
1: yes they they're all cosmic um presences that's exactly right. one last
0: question before I let you go uh so you've talked about your work as a director, you've talked about working in the music industry, you've talked about being a producer. How do you see yourself? What's your, how do you navigate all these different roles in, I guess, the entertainment industry? Is that is that how you think of it? Where? How do you see, do you define yourself as a director? Do you think of yourself as a producer?
1: I am a creative entrepreneur. I have a production company, Cortez Filmworks. Uh, we have a, a multi-part series that we're about to go into production on. And I EP projects, I direct, I produce.
0: How do you decide which ones you want to do and which ones you're going to be a producer on, which ones you're going to direct?
1: It is always about falling in love with uh, a story that I feel has not been told before that I can bring a unique per- uh, perspective to and knowing that I'm gonna live with this project for quite some time. So I better have an inventive way uh, to keep myself enga- uh, en- uh, engaged and entertained um, and, and made curious by the journey. One of the things people always say about Little Richard is like, wow, I didn't, get, uh, I didn't know all of the things that he did and that he changed and I want people to walk away from the films that I am a part of, whether it's a film or a series. And I'd like people to question what they have been told, but more importantly, to question what part of the narrative has been omitted.
0: Right, yeah, I think that that is a great point to end on, and I look forward to your next project.
1: Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to be in conversation with you.
0: The Film Comment podcast features original music by Greg Eingy. Film Comment is a publication of film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.